0: Hey, welcome. This is the Gentle Rebel podcast where we talk about navigating life's harsher edges with a spirit of compassionate creativity. I'm Andy Mort, I'm a songwriter and creativity coach, and I love exploring the power that gentleness can have in changing our world from the inside out. In the face of uh, cruelty and meanness and hostility, it can sometimes feel inappropriate to think about creativity and play, or it feels like, you know, Maybe we should save that stuff for when the world is uh, a little bit calmer, a little bit more peaceful and things have changed somewhat. But I wonder if that that kind of approach, that attitude is a symptom of seeing those things as separate parts of what it means to live as if they're optional, nice to haves that we can pin on the tail of our lives when everything else is in place. Don't get me wrong. It's really, really tough. To think of creativity and play, and to prioritize these things, um, and and to see them as being even like in any way appropriate when all we can see when we look out into the world is is suffering and and people in pain and uh, spirals of violence and that kind of thing. But as we've explored before, it may well be because we don't have a solid and healthy relationship with those parts of ourselves and our relationships with others that things actually spiral out of control in those harmful ways. And so I want in this episode to explore the relationship between gentleness and creativity and think about the role that both of those things can play in confronting um, the, the harsh edges, the meanness of the world, and hopefully calmly begin changing things from the inside out there are two aspects to this relationship that i want to go into uh, firstly there's there's building a practice of of creative gentleness in response to life's harsh edges and then secondly there's building gentleness into our own um kind of creative practices our own um relationship with with ourselves as well within ourselves and i think of the these uh, both these things comprising almost like a figure of 8 uh, that, that all sort of move swiftly between the relationship that we have with ourselves being gentle in the way that we uh, creatively hold uh, goals and projects and expectations of ourselves and the relationship that we have with the world around us which, which feeds the creativity that we bring um, to our kind of gentleness to the spirit that we put out into the world. When we have practices that touch on both we might begin to live in ways that bring us a sense of uh, meaningfully creative, um, uh, a meaningfully creative life that moves in sync with who we feel ourselves to uh, be deep in our core. And that can inadvertently infuse even those harshest edges, harshest edges of the world with a, a con- confrontational spirit of kindness and compassion. Um so yeah gentle creativity creative gentleness they, they're they distinct but deeply linked and i believe that we've kind of got to think about them both if we want to build a, a holistic sense of a creative life not just our own isolated creative world but allowing our creative spirit to infuse all areas of life and the world around us i think these these two things are just so intrinsically linked together um and we talked about this in one of our uh, recent Haven Sunday Cotter sessions uh, this is where we kind of take a topic from our uh, monthly theme and we engage with a couple of or two, two or three resources that help guide some questions that then stimulate a conversation. And as always, it was really, really great to hear a range of responses to the stuff that we were looking at. Um, and I'm going to kind of share some of the things from that conversation or like distilled takeaways um, that resonated with me. Um, I'll be sharing those uh, throughout this episode. Um, the three articles that, that informed the discussion were um, a Stoic response to mean or selfish people, um, which was from the Daily Stoic, um, and two articles from Nestlabs.com. Uh, the first one was "Inner Child and Inner Critic: A Battle for Creativity," um, and "Build Your Own uh, Practice: uh, Playfulness as a Practice," um, which yeah was was the second. Um, article, so I'm gonna like a plan to kind of bring in bits from each of those as we go along, um, and you can see what you think of these ideas that we've been looking at. Um, I'll put links to the uh, original articles in the episode description as well, so you can you can find that um, there. Um, so yeah, I mean, let's get let's start by getting clear on what it is that I want to address in this episode and why I believe that it's worth us. Kind of just taking a moment to think about this and to take this stuff seriously. So who are the mean and selfish people? Why are we using those words? Um, I I essentially use them because it it was in the title of the Daily Stoic article. Um, And in that article, it says it's a fact of life that we will encounter rude people. It happens every day. People cut in line. People speak to other people like they're a piece of poo. Uh, People lie and take credit for your work. Not only will this happen, but many times there'll be no consequences for this. Um, And I thought about, you know, different ways to frame the topic, but settled for this because it speaks to how things feel. I think we've all got experiences um, with people in situations where you you feel like there's just a meanness and a selfishness that you're kind of like, what is that about? Uh, You know, when we're trying our hardest to do the right thing, bring a bit of light into dark places in the world, you know, we might encounter unexpected resistance or criticism, offense, um, a lack of compassion, thoughtlessness, judgment ignorance people just not understanding what it is that we're trying to do or going against that stuff and it can feel so dispiriting and frustrating it can feel like other people are being deliberately um, mean and selfish when we experience those elements of pushback to our efforts to make the world a little bit more tolerable whether for ourselves and other people and it's tempting to to kind of just write people off and to label them as mean and selfish people when this sort of thing happens and when we use those words, we then treat other people as if that's who they are. We're then on the lookout, we're expecting meanness and selfishness in the, uh, in the lives of other people. And we react to people through this kind of fixed mindset that we maybe inadvertently adopt, which says, you know, people are mean and selfish. And we leave no wiggle room for uh, anyone to change that story. And so in this episode, I want to... Um, See if we can open up the story and see what happens when we play with it a little bit. So rather than thinking of people as mean and selfish, uh, we're going to just see some of the things we do, some of the things people do or engage, uh, engage in as mean and selfish. The carelessness, the thoughtlessness, the inconsideration, all of that, like they're things we're all susceptible to and things which are interpreted through the filters and lenses that we use as well. Um, you know, a huge part of gentleness's rebellion is shifting the story of shame that we bestow upon other people as well as ourselves. It's to find the gap in between what we do and who we are and to plant the seeds of what truly matters to us in the soil of that space, of that liminal, um, that liminal space. Um, and it's to find ways to act, to, to put ourselves in a more intentional position in relation to those stories what impact does selfishness and meanness have on us you know this is a question we might ask ourselves what is this stuff costing us there might be an immediate and urgent cost to this for you you know if you're in close physical proximity to life and soul-sucking actions from another person or a group of people or it might be Less immediate but equally present in your mind, leading you to shrink back and hide or censor important parts of yourself, things that you would love to bring to the world but for whatever reason feel like you can't or you feel afraid to. Um, This is a big part of the impact that I want to explore today where the spirit of the world around us infects our self-concept and this feeds us into the system that perpetuates the spirit of the world. So we end up permitting and sometimes even contributing to the conditions that give rise to that selfishness, to that meanness, to that cruelty, that hostility. When we're ungentle with ourselves, we might project this Into the world around us. And when we're ungentle with the world around us, we experience more cruelty back towards us in reaction to us. The Daily Stoic article says uh, about mean and selfish people they'll have to wait in line less than you. They might get promoted ahead of you after taking credit for that work. And when we see this, we're tempted to respond in a couple of ways Um, get angry, resent it, uh, use it as an excuse begin to plot our revenge none of these reactions are stoic more important none of these reactions reduce rude behavior in the world either so we can see this in i would say concentrated fashion on the road i don't know if you've ever experienced a situation where another driver reacts to you by shouting through the window or aggressively gesturing at you or whatever Uh, maybe you're too good a driver for that to happen but to be fair it happens you know however well you're driving there's there are people that just do this and it can prompt a reaction in you i don't know what that is for you perhaps it's cramping you up with with a sense of sadness or maybe it provokes you with anger and then you just you want to give the same back it's this tiny spark that can leave a dark cloud above it and it can happen very very quickly and from the most innocuous moments inside of vehicles partly i think because they're they're semi-anonymous, dehumanized, um, like containers for us. So you don't see you you see the 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 skin of the vehicle rather than the person inside. Um, it's kind of like very similar to the online world, but with with driving, you've got the physical component as well. You're you're in the vicinity, but once that spark touches the paper, the fire can spread quickly. Not just in the situation itself. But onwards into the rest of our day, in our relationships, in the way that we treat others, in the way that we behave, in the feelings that we have and the, um, the choices that we make as a result of those feelings. And in the assumptions that we might make about every other driver on the road or every other, other driver of a particular car, whatever car that person happened to be driving, or maybe assumptions that we make about every other stranger that we encounter for the rest of the day. Um, or beyond you know and this builds up our picture of the world over time and we become part of the problem in many ways at times we become that other driver in the lives of people that we're taking our anger out on the the people that we're projecting ourselves onto we essentially become the figure of that driver in their lives and this can again perpetuate if that person reacts badly or react takes takes that feeling that they've experienced because of uh, what we do and pass it on again this is something that we see all the time online as well and it's it's why it's so important to carry with us this difference between mean and selfish people and mean and selfish behavior we can tell ourselves a story about mean and selfish people because they're other people we know we're just trying our best and other people are mean and selfish and they they're sort of getting in our way they're being you know deliberately trying to ruin our lives or whatever but if we change how we hold this stuff and recognize that it's about people acting in mean and selfish ways we're more able to see how actually we're not immune from that and to use that as a way to become aware of the impact that we can make on the world around us both like in in those kinds of ways but also in expansive and positive and enriching ways I don't want this episode to carry any sense of like guilt around feeling any of these things. I want this to be an expansive invitation rather than some kind of dogmatic um, list of things you should or shouldn't do or like some kind of like, yeah, telling off. It's not that at all. I'm really interested in exploring the truth that sits between the lines of our experience and holding our default modes of responding to things up to the light of our deeper our visions and our deeper values. As we think about playfulness, creativity, and gentleness, it's an opportunity to open up to the possibilities for seeing the world differently. And in the episode about gentleness always being an option, I talked about how we are, how we hold, and how we are held. That when we hold uh, like an animal too tightly, it will, it will struggle. It will wriggle. It might lash out. And likewise, when we feel held too tightly we do the same kinds of things i want to move through the ideas that we explore in this episode with that image in mind you know how are we holding people how are we holding ourselves how are we allowing ourselves to be held by ideas in the world by other people by strangers by all of these kinds of things like by that proverbial driver on the road how are we held by that moment, that innocuous moment this morning? Um, what impact does this have? Are we holding too softly? How do we help people feel safe without suffocating and disempowering them? Gentleness isn't about letting go. And this, in our Haven Cotter meeting, I spoke about musical instruments and how musicians learn to um, kind of instinctively hold their instruments with intuitive gentleness as a drummer um, if you hold your sticks too tightly uh, your drumsticks you you can't play with a kind of natural fluency you become rigid and stilted and robotic it's really uncomfortable to listen to you know putting the audience on edge because it feels like you know something is about to go very very wrong Uh, it feels unnatural and fluency and speed is really really difficult to find and ironically the chances of the sticks flying out of your hands are greater because your grip can't sustain it and on the flip side if you hold the sticks too softly as soon as you encounter the obstacle i.e the drum um, as soon as that stick hits the drum it's going to fly out of your hand so the gentle grip is about building practices of sustainable strength in the face of resistance in the face of those as you hit the drums and to work with the obstacles to create a beautiful, natural, fluid rhythm. And I believe this applies to many areas of life as well, especially how we hold ourselves and how we hold one another. When we grip too tightly to the words and actions of others, for example, we end up without natural fluency. We're trying to navigate the flow of life in stilted, rigid and robotic ways. And we just can't hold on to that for very long. So we're going to be thinking about how we can increase the space, the margin, how we can hold gently and provide opportunities for ourselves and for other people to get out of the holes and the corners and the cul-de-sacs that we are constantly um tempted to back back them into. Because as fun as it is to see someone who says and does something that you really hate, like a cornered animal with no options, actually get more potentially destructive and violent if they only have one way out and that way is towards you and through you or towards things that matter to you and through things that matter to you when we do this we create the conditions for more of it we build it as a structure for engagement with one another and with things that we don't agree with and this is not good for anyone as it scales up it's not good for us as individuals it's not good for us collectively as a society and it doesn't hold a lot of hope for where we're heading into the future. Inviting a spirit of play and creativity is a great way to, to begin nurturing conditions for gentleness to emerge between the lines and to just change the narrative of that story so that we have more space, we have more time to respond in ways that are actually beneficial to us as individuals and to the wider sense of society as well. I was recently talking to somebody about times when we've been moved by the helpfulness of strangers. You know, when someone we didn't know maybe did something that made a, a real meaningful difference to us. And there were a few examples that came up, but there was one that really felt powerful because it was slightly, I mean, subversive to the conversation and it felt like the most powerful, the most important. And it was when they said there's an example that really sticks with them the like essentially, when they responded too slowly to help somebody else. I'm not going to talk about the details uh, of that, but they're essentially in a rush when they uh, cycled past somebody who had pulled something out of their pocket, not realizing that a banknote had flown out as well. And they looked back, realizing now there's this big gap. Um, and so they carried on up the road but they couldn't keep going at a certain point there were all these scenarios were running through their heads say, you know, actually that, that might be like their day is ruined. There might be all sorts of reasons why that money is really, really important. So they ended up turning around and going back uh, to find it and to find the, the person, except by the time they got to the spot where it was dropped, it was gone. And I was really moved by the story not least because it was told you know it's a story that rarely gets told but often gets lived it's a brave one to share because it doesn't conclude with a happy ending it doesn't shine the best light on on them but it's really powerful because it speaks to the guilt that most of us carry around a lot of the time when we uh, could do something about times where we could do something but don't or could have done something but didn't and those things play on our minds and they stick, stick with us. You know, I don't know about you, but I have those times where that come back to me in the middle of the night and they sort of haunt me. Um, or the times that we do something that goes against who we want to be. Hearing that story made me feel less alone in that. It made me feel, okay, that's, that is reassuring. Um, but also it helps me, um, I think, give grace to other people. Who appear to act in mean selfish cruel ways or or those sort of thoughtless ways ignorant ways the example that came to mind when I heard that story was um, a story from when um, we were at the cinema um, a few months ago I, again I won't go into the whole thing but essentially the movie had ended and I noticed there was somebody at the end of our row who was just sat there it wasn't wasn't really moving or wasn't moving at all. He kind of sat quite upright, had a bag on his lap um, with the the shoulder strap still over, over his head. Um, and there was a couple making their way out of the auditorium. They were walking down the steps um, Be from behind him. They walked past him and I watched them kind of look at him and uh, sort of talk to each other and then poke him a little bit. And then they shrugged and then just carried on walking off. So, my assumption was, okay, it must have given them enough indication to show he's fine. Um, and he, he's just sort of sat there enjoying the credits or something. Um, but as we got closer, it was, it was clear he was not fine at all. He was completely still and had a. He, he looked just totally, totally out of it. Um, mm-hmm. Barely, I mean, at first, couldn't see that he was breathing. He was grey. Um, his hands were in a position that I've really only seen in people that I worked with as an undertaker so alarm bells were really really ringing for me Um, and yeah so eventually discovered he was breathing Um, and fortunately he woke up once Um, we got him into the recovery position Um, I kind of rang rang for an ambulance the paramedics arrived very very quickly Um, to this day I'm not sure what had happened to him um, to, to kind of cause what had gone on, um, but one of the biggest things that haunted me was was that image of the couple walking past, and it was like, how can how can people like it? Just felt like this really cruel and callous reaction, and it was, <laughs> frankly, but that doesn't make them cruel and callous people. And what's more, when I heard the story of the money, I was struck by the fact that actually these people. Who knows, but they might be really, really haunted by that moment as well. That might play on their minds. That might wake them up in the middle of the night. Like, oh, I really wish we'd done something. Like, what has happened to that person? What was, what, like, what was the truth? Uh, which for me is a story that helps me, I think, have a more universalized compassion. Not just for those in, in need, um, but for those of us, <laughs> all of us, who are haunted by the moments when we didn't stop. When we felt out of our depth, maybe like we, I'm not the right person to to help in this situation or we got caught in the story that we've been told um, and and tell ourselves about the fact that, well, there's no time to pause. There's no time. Somebody else will do that. Somebody else is bound to kind of help in this situation or a million and one other things that reinforce the message of essentially of disconnection between like human to human whatever is factually true about that particular situation i kind of want to connect with the human truth that underpins it that none of us do everything we can and we all carry certain moments around with us whether consciously or unconsciously where we're like oh, i wish i'd done more can you think of a time something like that happened or is there a time that you like just plays on your mind every so often you like oh, i I really I really wish I'd done more then, um, or I wish I'd done things a bit differently. If that's the case, no, please know, you're not alone, and it is okay. However much it doesn't feel okay, um, you are not that moment, but you can become what you do with that moment as you use it, as you learn from it, as you grow from it. I want to talk about um, something called the creativity faucet. You may have heard me talk about it before. Something Julian Shapiro wrote about um, on his blog. um, A little, uh, I can't remember exactly when it was, but I came across it about a year ago as I'm recording this. Um, It's a mental model that he uses to to help generate um, better and better creative ideas. He said it was inspired while watching a documentary about uh, Ed Sheeran, which was... (laughs) Identical to the process that author Neil Gaiman details in his, his masterclass. Um, and Julian calls this the, the creativity faucet uh, or tap for those who, who don't use the word faucet. Um, Visualise your creativity as a backed up water uh, pipe of water. The first mile of piping is packed with wastewater. This wastewater must be emptied before the clear water arrives. Because your pipe only has one faucet, There's no shortcut to achieving clarity other than first emptying the wastewater. He says that most creators never get past their wastewater. They resist their bad ideas. If you've opened up a blank blank document, scribbled a few thoughts, then walked away because you weren't struck with gold, then you too didn't get past it. I I think this is a really interesting thing to think about. It definitely rings true to my own experience of creativity at times. It's definitely not a perfect analogy, perfect metaphor, um, but it, it kind of carries some kernels of truth within it that we can use when we think uh, not only of our relationship with creativity, but I think our relationship with other parts of the world as well. You know, the immediate temptation that we have to uh, react from a place of, of anger, that, that moment of vengeance, the retaliation, that's wastewater. It's there. We need to allow it to flow through the tap in some way. Um, but ultimately there's, there's something better beyond it. Um, creative gentleness emerges as we begin to recognise that the wastewater isn't all there is and that we are capable of so much more. Cleaner, clearer, healthier, life-giving, refreshing water. Better thinking, better responses that not only taste good to us, but can flow through the lives of other people as well. So the creativity faucet It's another image that you might just want to hold somewhere in the back of your mind as you're you're listening to this. Okay, so let's think about this stoic response to mean or selfish people. Um, The Daily Stoic article um, that I referenced earlier starts with a Marcus Aurelius quote, which is, Kindness is invincible, but only when it's sincere, with no hypocrisy or faking. What can even the most malicious person do if you keep showing kindness and if given the chance you gently point out? they went wrong right as they're trying to harm you um this article really interesting place to start in our haven discussion gave us a great platform from which to 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 grow the conversation to build the conversation because essentially it's this stoic principle of accepting things as they are so not getting caught in resentment and bitterness about meanness and selfishness um which ultimately kind of leaves us um in a state of distress because it's like well that's this this is true this is what's here uh, this is what we're facing we can't wish it was otherwise um and and kind of in the case of the meanness and selfishness of others it's it's absorbing the malice and showing kindness in its face um which you know you might have some thoughts about uh, as you as you kind of contemplate what that means and and you might sort of recoil and think well what yeah kindness especially kindness as, as a word i'll talk about it in a second um feels a bit sort of jarring a bit abrasive um in that context and one of the the issues that's also interesting to to consider is around philosophies like stoicism when we take it as as a purely individual thing like where does it fit with the, within the big pick, bigger picture is it practical as a way to build a better collective a better society and to transform uh, the world around us, the systems, the structures, um, especially the the systems and structures of power. Um, you know, w- what, where does it all fit within that? Um, and I guess a lot of it depends on how we engage with it, how we adopt it. Um, sometimes we're kind of blind to our own privilege. And I've had some really interesting conversations with people. It's like, you know, are you are you just in a in a position of privilege to be able to practice a philosophy like this, um, or? while making our own lives more bearable, is it changing the conditions in the world around us so that other people, so that society in, in general kind of improves as well in some way? What does that look like? Um, and is it possible for that to happen um, kind of from the individual to the collective? Is it purely a personal thing or other ways to apply this to broader structural change? And I want to get into that shortly as we think about the possibility of, for practicing creative gentleness as collectives not just as individuals as well and starting from that point of of a more universal um, uh, position another question as i said is in relation to that word kindness you know what does it mean to show kindness and is it appropriate especially when dealing with maliciousness or cruelty in the behavior of other people um, I wonder, yeah. As I say, is this a word some people are going to struggle with? Because it feels, it feels kind of passive and doormatty to some degree. It feels like you're a reward for malice and cruelty. Which, if we think about things through the lens of uh, like behavioural conditioning, i.e., by rewarding behaviour you get more of that behaviour, uh, and punishing behaviour you get less of it, it, it seems completely counterproductive to like be kind in the face of malice. Um, And there are definitely going to be situations where that is the case, especially if it's approached in such a way that simply gives the other person exactly what they want and they know, ah, yes, I can take advantage of this. Um, I can manipulate this situation to get to get the thing that I desire. But what if we approach kindness with creativity as well? And what does it mean to show kindness? So the word kind comes from uh, kindness, uh, K-Y-N-D-N-E-S, meaning nation. Which originates from kin, uh, which is family, you know, relatives, so on, Um, like next of kin, that kind of thing. So, to treat kindly is to treat as one of a kind with us, not separate from us. So, what if kindness didn't give malice a free pass, but actually insisted on their acceptance as part of the whole, holding to account in that sense, holding accountability through kindness? It's like, no, you're part of this. So, like yeah, I mean I think we've seen examples of this in, in many films and stories and books and, and TV shows where where cruelty and malice are behaviors uh, people engage in as a way to almost bring on rejection so that the character can live within the narrative that they find comfortable, uh, whether it's as a victim uh, or an outsider or someone you know that the world doesn't get me, so I can sort of carry on this this um, purely rebel. Um, Kind of anti-establishment role. Um, to treat with kindness in this sense is to see the world through compassion, to see them as a person, to hear what they're saying, to see them within that universal context, to understand why they might be feeling what they're feeling, and to do whatever it takes to not let them live within that narrative that allows them to, to take themselves to the outside, that kind of tells them that they're unacceptable at the level of being. This type of kindness isn't about permitting behaviour. But it's about unconditionally accepting the human being within the behaviour as part of our kindness. We all belong together in kind at a core universal level. We've got to figure out how the hell to make that work in practice. Seneca said, vengeance wastes a lot of time and exposes you to many more injuries than the first that sparked it. When we engage in vengeance, tit for tat, the cycle of violence, we become obsessed with this. This is where, this is the arena in which we operate we build an unkind world that has sown division right into the heart of it and it seems like unreconcilable differences that emerge between us and them because we engage with that logic but what if we could let that go what if we could rewrite the script that we so easily default into And so, creative play as a practice of resilience in a mean and selfish world. So, the, the article on Nest Labs, the first article, um, "Inner Child and Inner Critic: A Battle for Creativity," begins with the Picasso quote: "It takes a very long time to become young." <laughs> and this is this is one we talked about. We we dwelled on in the in the Haven discussion for a while. The author says that the creative process often feels like a constant battle between an inner child and an inner critic asking whether it's possible to turn this creative battle into creative balance. Yeah, this idea of becoming young really spoke to the group as we were talking it through. There are many people who have received and internalised the message growing up that play and creativity are childish activities, things that should be let go of in order to grow up and and become adults, essentially. It was really fascinating, really sad to hear stories about you know, critical judgments from family members about creative practices and playful enjoyment of arts um, and, and crafts. And it's this reminder that creative play is forbidden for so many of us by people for whom it may well have been forbidden in different ways to them as well. The harsh words from one person are often handed on from their own creative wounds maybe it's exactly the same message they heard for themselves rather than working with it and finding a way back to their own creative self they just they don't look at it in the in their own lives they just pass it on um project it outwards um onto the next generation or whoever one of the beautiful things i love seeing in people that i work with is when they break these cycles when they recognize they become aware of these cycles, when they come to see that creative play is a is a birthright. It's at the core of their humanity, far from being something that they should grow out of. It's something that they need to grow into. When we don't go through this process and embrace the process of becoming young again in this sense, we're more likely to project the blockages that occur when we can't fully access our creative playful selves. And we believe the stories that shrink our world, the ones that tell us we should be this or that if we, we want to fit in, we've got to be like that. And we need to turn our back on curiosity and wonder and the mysterious uncertainties that make life worth living if we want any chance of being successful. We often take that out on ourselves and on other people and on the world around us. But what if the world is cruel, mean and selfish because it's full of people who have, have been told lies about how things should be? How they should be. Creativity is a spirit that runs through the human veins. It's non negotiable, but we can squash it with the beliefs and stories we tell to ourselves and tell to one another. What might those stories sound like? Well, in the article, uh, Anne-Laurie LeCunf says: being young is is being curious. On average, children ask 107 questions per hour. But as we grow older, we start accumulating factual knowledge, practical shortcuts and mental models to make decisions faster. In a society focused on speed as a measure of performance, we look for the quickest path to achieve our goals. We prioritise so much knowing how and how fast we can get to a desired outcome. We forget to stop and ask why during the journey. And when we do ask ourselves questions, they're often fueled by self-doubt. Is my work good enough? What will people think? Our inner critic was educated by a learning system based on finding the correct answer and outperforming others on a structured task on structured tasks. Instead of resulting in better and better creative work, listening to our inner critic may result in conformative work. So what stories do these questions give rise to? Stories of judgment, stories of perfectionism, inadequacy, envy, comparison, the belief that there's a right and a wrong answer. One of the key aspects of a good coaching session is the creative options stage. It comes in and out at different times during the conversation, but it's kind of, it's where there are no wrong answers about what is possible. It comes through the, uh, when you're thinking about your goals, like what, what would you, what, like what would you do in an ideal situation if everything was was as you want it to be like what would be going on and just to sort of allow the creativity to flow through that um, and the shackles to be off and then in the once you've sort of got a sense of like where you want to head like the direction you want to move in and you're thinking about okay what what could be next what's what are the ways of getting there what the, the the kind of potential ways of achieving it Everything's on the table with no commitment, just all potential ideas that could get the person being coached from where they are to where they want to be instead. And what I love about this is it, it usually takes a while to get going. It's kind of like uh, thinking about that creativity faucet, you know, the, the, the maybe the obvious stuff comes first, the things they've probably tried before, maybe tried every January um, and think, yeah, this is it's kind of underpinned by a sense of shouldness yeah this is what i I need to do this and yeah the kind of resigned sense of i know what i need to do in order to achieve my goal and then it's okay what if you didn't need to do that what if that was no longer the thing you thought you had to do what could you do instead we don't often spend enough time in in that creative options mode because we so it's so tempting to come up with a couple of moderately adequate options and then be like yeah that'll do i'll pick from them and while we may come back to the first option by the end actually the process of creatively naming a load more potential options opens us up to the realization there's no one one right way to approach anything like there are loads of potential ways of doing this and we can only pick what occurs to us so it's about opening up the uh, number of things the number of potential ideas that occur to us as options the story we tell ourselves about ourselves and other people is also often limited to a small set of beliefs about how things should be but by reconnecting with our inner child and by recognizing how our inner critic might turn into a an inner coach we can ask questions that blow open the possibilities in any given situation and we don't have to believe that we're creative in order to live creatively. All we need to do is ask interesting questions from a place of genuine curiosity. In the context of bringing more gentleness into the world, it starts when we set our vision for what a gentle world would look like. Visualising it, describing it, setting the scene, defining you know, what's gonna, what would be going on in a world where things are actually okay. What is true in that place? And what is no longer true? In that place? What is there no space for in that place? We can ask questions of past experiences when things didn't go quite the way that we maybe hoped they would. If I could do that again, what might I do differently or what might I change? You know, there's a million answers to that question. It can be freeing to realize actually, there's not one correct way to approach. Any situation, but there are ways that best reflect the world we want to live in and the values that we carry with us. It's creating more options around those choices. Playfulness is holding this pursuit where we understand that the right answer doesn't necessarily exist when it comes to so many of the more liminal aspects of life. Playfulness is a shock absorber that enables us to exist without the pressure of perfectionism and the expectations of a a binary this or that, black or white world. We're all fools, we're all outsiders, we're all lost and lonely balls of life trying to make sense of a fundamentally traumatic and confusing situation that we've found ourselves in. As Maria Lagones is quoted as saying in the second Nest Labs article, Playfulness is, in part, an openness to being a fool, which is a combination of not worrying about competence, not being self-important, not taking norms as sacred and finding ambiguity and double-edges as a source of wisdom and delight. I really like that. In the post, there are five suggestions for being more playful as an adult. Try new things, make playfulness a habit, forget about the goal, cultivate curiosity and surround yourself with playful people in our conversation we thought about you know which of these areas could make the biggest difference to our lives like each individual in in the group began to consider maybe how playfulness can become a practice in in very ordinary ways without requiring you know big leaps or changes like it's it's not this grand um, thing that we're going to have to do in order to get play into our lives but actually as part of the everyday, as part of the things that we're already doing. Even something like, you know, trying new things sounds at first like that's going to take a lot of planning and time, but actually could be as small as taking a different route to work or eating something different for lunch, changing up something on the shopping list, ordering from a different takeaway or whatever. The practice of playfulness is about creating conditions for more playfulness, for gentleness, for subtle shifts and this happens as we allow ourselves to see where playfulness is possible which is everywhere surround yourself with playful people might not be a it might not require a change of social circle it might be bringing play into your current social circle allowing permitting things to be slightly different in the way that you or the things that you do together the way that you engage together what if everybody is actually bursting with this readiness to play but because of the culture so far the culture that's sort of just been there in in the the kind of vibe of the group play has not felt welcome or safe until now but what can make play a part of things there how could you bring that playful spirit to the group cultivate curiosity what questions are you desperate to ask but feel too stupid to vocalize guaranteed that you're you're not the only one who wants to know the answer to those questions um what around you right now if you're always sort of taken for granted just have a look around you like where, wherever you are you've never wondered sort of where does that come from why has it been designed in the way that it's been designed curiosity is linked to awareness you know seeing noticing what is in plain sight and noticing what it is that we notice when we do that and asking a a question about it. last year we did a um a creativity workshop in the Haven courtyard, uh, which is all about bringing play and a creative outlook into our lives by using some simple games that essentially invite failure <laughs> um, and and sort of prioritize failure as a part of our creative practice because one of the things that continuously holds us back from all of this it may well be on your mind right now is yeah how do i do this right like what's the right way to do this um so i came up with this this prompt that we used uh, in the the live session that we did where i created a, a a collage that was shared on the screen for a few minutes very busy picture lots going on in it there was like a little i think a little poem or a few words and some weird objects in strange places um and then i removed the image from the screen and invited people to recreate it from memory and so the idea was like copy it as much as you possibly can um, and then see what happens and it was really interesting to to then get people's feedback and their experiences of it afterwards um you know there were there were some people who found they couldn't remember it and they found it too frustrating so they went and did something else Um, there was others who remembered as much as they could and then kind of built on what they remembered with their own thing on top of it um there were others who took sort of what they saw as the essence of the of the image and, and created something completely different as well um and then there were people who who got pretty, like i was pretty impressed with some people's memories um like I did it as well, and took it away from my own view, and up, bearing in mind, I created the image and r- remembered very little of it, uh which was interesting in its own uh right but yeah, the point of the exercise was getting comfortable with getting it wrong um and and I think that as a practice that's a really important thing for us to to hone and to to craft you know the success was not in copying the image, but it was in getting comfortable and noticing the feelings that we experience when we feel like we, we can't get it right, you know, getting comfortable with failing and then instilling deliberate, intentional um, practices that that kind of force us to confront that, that, that feeling. So the kinds of prompts that are valuable to us when it comes to living with creative gentleness. It's comfortable and easy to react in the default ways but it's far more interesting and rewarding to pick from a whole range of different responses that we could use. Now, on this note, I think I'd like to finish by just talking briefly about um, creating cushions. You know, how can we build cushions, not corners, for people? I mentioned at the start that meanness, selfishness, cruelty—it's often perpetuated. We often bring more of the the kind of mean, the selfish, the cruel behaviour when we don't allow people a way out and we back people into corners keep them in holes that they dig for themselves and so on and it's so tempting to do that and it feels like really really just and justified a lot of the time but what if a part of creative gentleness is allowing people ways out the corners and the holes without causing them great shame and humiliation and i think this is the first part of true accountability too like i don't think we hold people accountable when we, um, for things that they need to be held accountable for, when we create shame and humiliation, when we force them into the corner, when we don't let them out the hole, where we can hold people's behavior to account once the cloud passes on that moment, it's much better for them, it's much better for us, it's much better for everyone. I used to be part of a, um, A team that ran like short holidays for kids Um, and one of the founding leaders was a a hugely experienced teacher of many years coordinating special educational needs um, in a school or various schools and she shared stories of um, ways that she'd kind of uh, developed unassuming methods for helping kids out of corners that they found themselves in. Um, if they'd kind of get really um, worked up, or like a situation spiraled because of big emotions that were hard to deal with, I can't remember exactly uh, what it was, but like she she'd talk about her going in and finding a child with a chair in their hand, ready to throw this chair across the room or throw it at somebody, um, and um, something along the lines of like coming in, pretending that she hadn't heard anything that was that was going on, the ruckus, uh, very calmly saying, "Oh." Th- that's brilliant. Thank, I really needed that chair. Thank you for um, providing that for me. Um, I'm feeling really exhausted, so I really need to sit down. Very much appreciate that. Um, and as I say, I can't remember the exact story, but the essence is to to gently diffuse situations by say, uh, like in some situations, saying or doing something completely unexpected, like confusing people, essentially creating these cushions and building this margin, so that whatever corner or hole um, that that was they've kind of backed themselves into or had been backed into by other people in that situation. It's creating those the margins for new possibilities to arise without it being about them. Um, And I've always been in awe of this ability that that she had and that people have to do this. Um, But I think again it's it's about practice and experimentation. It's not always going to work. It's not going to work the same with with different people. But the core principles um, can be the same, you know, using what you have in front of you, considering um, maybe the weirdest thing that you can do with it and avoiding the temptation to exert power over the other person, be it intellectual or physical dominance. You know, nobody likes being humiliated and it never makes the world a better place when we when we do that, when we engage in the shaming and the humiliation of people. as. Much as it might be kind of cathartic in the moment, it it doesn't make the world better. In fact, it leads to world wars. Um, and yet we still do it so so often. And so it's kind of, yeah, I think it's the opportunity to start playing with the scripts that we're writing, the scripts that we're following, the scripts that we're forcing other people to um to follow as well. Yeah, I'd love to to kind of hear any stories that you have that have been inspired by uh, any of the things that i've been discussing in this episode and um yeah please do get in touch uh, via social media or through the website andymott.com it would be lovely to hear your stories and responses to what we've been talking about it's really important stuff for us to grapple with and reflect on as we consider what we can do to to play with those scripts that are no longer working for us individually and collectively you know how can we get out of our own way and make room for new stories of gentleness to emerge through the gaps gentleness is rebellion it's always an option and may occur to us more and more as such in the coming days and weeks Just one more thing quickly before we finish, because you're listening to this, I imagine you are a reflective person with a caring, creative and compassionate spirit. And I want to just quickly tell you about The Haven, which is a virtual village for quietly creative misfits just like you. Whether you're looking to build lasting friendships with other gently unconventional people or you simply need some respite from the world's noise right now, I've built The Haven for you. With its cafe, theatre, library and fireside, it's a calm bubble of support and encouragement for Gentle Rebels. It's currently the autumn season in the membership, and we're looking at the themes of change, belonging and serenity during September, October and November. Through our conversations in the community, as well as resources like the private podcast feed, videos, interviews and short courses, we dive into these themes and ask how we can build healthier, happier and more connected lives in sync with our natural, gentle rhythms perhaps you know intuitively that there's so much more within you waiting to burst into life but maybe you don't quite know where to start or how to bring it out in a way that feels good to you well i'd love to welcome you in and show you around the haven you can learn more at the haven.co or you'll find a link in the description for this episode take care see you soon bye-bye